You're listening to an episode of the C19 Podcast, a production by scholars from around the world that explores the past, present, and the future through the United States in the long 19th century. We are an official production of C19, the Society of 19th Century Americanists. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Disclaimer. The opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect the opinions of the respective individual's employers, nor the official opinions of C-19. Welcome to the C-19 Podcast. I'm Ryan Charlton, postdoctoral fellow in the English Department at Auburn University. In this installment, we are talking to the organizers of the 7th Biennial C-19 Conference, being held from March 31st through April 2nd in Coral Gables, Florida. The theme of this year's conference, Reconstructions, invites us to consider continuities and parallels between the 19th century and the present moment. As ongoing struggles for racial justice and voting rights confirm, Reconstruction truly is in the words of historian Eric Foner, an unfinished revolution. The three interviews that comprise this episode explore various resonances of the conference theme, as well as the practical concerns of conference attendees. As the society's first in-person gathering in four years, the upcoming conference offers some of us the opportunity to reconnect with friends and colleagues who we may not have seen since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. For others, this conference marks our first opportunity to experience a traditional academic conference and share our work with a room full of scholars. In our first segment, Lizzie LaRude talks with members of the conference program committee about the theme and structure of this year's conference. Hi everybody, this is Lizzie LaRude. I am joined today by the C-19 conference program committee and I'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Anna Mae Duane. I'm Associate Professor of English at the University of Connecticut. I'm Sarah Chin. I'm Professor of English at Hunter College, which is part of the City University of New York. And unfortunately not joining us today is uh, Professor Autumn Womack, who is the Assistant Professor of English and African American Studies at Princeton University. But we will have a conversation today with, uh, with who we have to talk about the program theme and setup. So let me start uh, with a a general question here for you both. How did you arrive at the conference theme of Reconstructions? Well, um, it was Sarah's idea. um, And we sort of immediately thought it was a great idea. And I know that when um, Autumn joined us, she really helped us sort of expand all the possibilities around Reconstruction. Um, I don't know, Sarah, since you were you're the one who came up with mm-hmm. it, what were you? Why were you thinking about it? Um, I was thinking about it for several reasons. Um, one was there's been a lot of talk about reconstruction and the the sort of pushback against reconstruction these days because um, we see so many parallels with sort of the post Obama era and this sense that. Um, you know, sort of white supremacy finds black achievement insufferable and insupportable. 
Um, and so there has to be this sort of backlash against it. And that's exactly what we saw during Reconstruction. So I, th- I think for me, there were so many parallels between the post-Reconstruction era and the, the sort of um, collapse into uh, white supremacy and Jim Crow. And I feel like, you know, with the sort of voter suppression that's going on right now and the rise of the alt-right, it seemed like a really timely intervention. Um, And I think another piece of it was um, to call it reconstructions with an S was to think about how in many ways the United States is always in the process of remaking and rebuilding. You know, it's sort of there's this sense of like we've made something. Oh, no, we need to fix it or it's not quite right. Um, And so, in fact, many of our panels, not the I'll put it this way. Not that many of our panels are actually about reconstruction. It's a handful. But I think for people, the theme of reconstruction was a really useful way to shape the panels that they were going to put together. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting the, and kind of tragic about the timeliness of it, because I, when I was reflecting on, you know, the conversation when this first came up, I think one of the things we also talked about was, you know, we were at this moment where I think it was just either before the election or right after the election. Mm. And, you know, we made jokes about constructions and building back better. And this idea like that hopefulness of reconstruction at that moment that like we've just gone through this incredibly divisive era. And I think when we were discussing this, there was this moment of like, well, maybe there's a chance to, to rebuild. Though I think by the so much for that. <laughs> time we get there yeah we're very much in the sort of post-reconstruction like oh god what that didn't work i'd say one more thing um which is you know cody mars who is a fantastic scholar of the civil war and reconstruction era says you know talks about this long civil war which far preceded 1860 and went far beyond 1877 that you know the the seeds of the kind of division that happened in the 1860s were planted you know at the very beginning of the formation of the United States and the um, ramifications of reconstruction lingered for a long long time and linger with us still I mm-hmm. mean you know two years ago only two years ago people were taking down statues of Confederate generals. So, you know, it's not like we're not still living with that because we certainly are. Could we talk about some of the nitty gritty of the of the planning and the program? What might feel new and what might feel familiar there? Are there features that are new to the program? And uh, are there other things that are coming back that that have been successful in the past? I think mostly because the structure works so well, we're basically doing the same sort of structure. I mean, one thing that I'm very excited about is the C-19 Now presentation by Desmond Mead, um, and you know, who's a voting rights activist and was a main proponent, um, but also sort of the energy behind um, the ballot initiative in Florida that returned voting rights to people who were convicted of felonies. And, you know, given 
the parallels between the kind of voter suppression that's going on right now and the voter that suppression that went on, you know, after the Civil War, it seems like that is, you know, he was a, a, a really obvious choice for us. And that work is so exciting. And he's, you know, so he's so passionate about it. Um, so even though, you know, we've had C-19 now presentations before, this one that's so explicitly engaged with community, engaged with political action is very exciting to me because that's a direction that we haven't so much gone in. And I think in terms of the tried and true things that have already worked, um, we're very excited, I am, about the seminars, which I think is just such a great innovation. Um, because, and I remember the conversations around creating the seminars. We always, you always want more time to talk. You always want, and I mean, I think even in the seminars, the believing the seminars still want more time to talk, which is an indication of how exciting and generative they are. But a way to sort of really share your work um, over an extended period with people who are working on something similar. I, I have, um, I have uh, actually hosted one, and I, you know, still. Uh, everyone who was in it, uh, I stay in touch with. It was just this really incredible experience, and I'm very excited because I'm attending one. At uh, this, so I just think we've, and it's also just a way of sort of mapping some of the more, you know, where people are clustering, um, mm. what sort of um, uh, trends or sort of conversations are emerging like, because of who's willing to do it and who wants to apply to it. That all of a sudden oh, we've got 15 people at this conference who are all mm. thinking about. Uh, carceral studies or visual studies you know it's just a really great sort of way to sort of um little constellations i guess is the metaphor i want of like where the gravity is sort of um increasing around certain conversations and one thing we have done is expand the time of the seminars Mm. from two hours to two and a half hours because um i mean my experience of being in seminars is it's just not enough time yeah you know two hours is just not enough for everyone to talk about their work to really have conversation among all the people um so that was one thing we decided we're just going to make them longer yeah because you know this is the you know it's the only feedback we get about the seminars that is not you know, extremely enthusiastic. <laughs> it's like, I wish I'd had more time. You're like, all right, we'll give you more time. Let's see how that goes. A couple new features I noticed on the program that caught my eye. I wonder if you would speak to them a little bit. The common table dinner and the cluster that's lunches. Been, no, that's been in every conference, I think, the common table dinner. Um, it's certainly, yeah, no, it's been in every conference. Um, and it's a really lovely tradition. Mm-hmm. Um where you know we all go to a local restaurant and there's you know people just sit where they want to sit and we all eat the same food um and we just talk we just talk and i've met some really amazing people with whom i'm still in touch some people i've become friends with um people that i you know respect their work um i respect them intellectually and to be able to talk both about our work and also just casually about our lives um, is a really wonderful experience. And it, you know, it's communal, it's communal, it's it's community building. And that's one thing I think that C-19 is very conscious of Mm -hmm. is that we don't want to just be, you know, um, an academic society. You know, we want to be a community um, and to welcome people in. It's a really nice way of welcoming people in. Agreed. 
Yeah, my experience with the communal table is very similar. And I would just add that I think everyone who goes and so many people go, it's always just just about everyone who's there is going to build community and to welcome people. Mm -hmm. So um, I remember I, you know, sat across from a, uh, who's now a brilliant scholar, but was a, a you know, a, a fledgling graduate student at the time. And we're still friends and I, I learned so much from her. Um, but there was this idea, you know, and I think that um, she was quite nervous because you all, you know, when you're, it's your first conference. And I would say the communal table is a place you're not there. No one is there to just talk to old friends. You're there to mm -hmm. welcome everyone who's coming. So I would really encourage, like, if you're on the fence, come to the common table. You'll have a good time. Thanks for walking through that. I think I'm realizing that my first C19 was the virtual C19. So oh. I, yeah. So I've never experienced those lovely in-person uh, yeah. communal events that you're describing. So I have a lot to look forward to. So your common table was you were eating a bagel and someone else was having a sandwich on the same session. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Not the same. So when we arrive at Coral Gables and we're on the ground together, uh, what do you imagine it's going to be like? Well, I think it's going to be great because um, our on-site hosts, uh, who are Martha Schoolman and John Function, have done a fantastic job of you know, sort of booking the hotel for the common table, getting Desmond Mead, um, you know, sort of working with the hotel. And also I have to mention, of course, the president of C19, uh, Edley Wong, who has done an incredible job of pulling this together and doing so much behind the scenes kind of work that people don't see. Um, so, you know, uh, Coral Gables is kind of fun. I haven't been there in a really long time, but I think that uh, John and Martha have been and will be really terrific hosts um, and are bringing also a bunch of students to help run the conference, do the logistical stuff. So, you know, I think it's going to be when we get on the ground, it's going to be very smooth, uh, very effortless. Um, and I wanted to put in one plug, actually, which is um, like we did last time, we're going to have a Redbubble uh, shop. It's called Redbubble, right? Is that right? I don't know. I think so. I think it's called, I'll look it up. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <coughs> um, so we're going to have, you know, we're going to choose a couple of images and phrases and we're going to have T-shirts and mugs and you know, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it'll both help you remember uh, the conference fondly and also help fund C19's efforts, both in the conference and beyond. So go to Redbubble and buy Get your merch. Swag. Yeah. <laughs> Get your swag. I have to say, I have a lot of stuff from Descent, like an embarrassing amount. So, you know, um, if you are C19 collectors, now is your time. Stuck up. Well, uh, let me say, let me close here and say thank you so much for your responses today. I appreciate this conversation. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. This was really thank enjoyable. You. This was great. In our next segment, Julia Bernier talks with C19 President Edley Wong about the challenges of planning a conference during a pandemic and what participants can expect from this year's gathering. 
I'm Julia Bernier, a member of the C-19 Podcast Committee, and today I'm talking with Dr. Edley Wong, who is president of C-19 and professor of English at the University of Maryland, about all the stuff that you need to know for our next conference, Reconstructions, happening soon in Coral Gables, Florida. Um, so I'm sure that you've been extremely busy getting ready for this event that has now been years in, in the making. Um, so thanks so much for taking some time to talk with us about it today. So first, let's talk about planning a conference during a pandemic. I'm sure some of our listeners don't really have a sense of all that goes into planning an academic conference, and then also one that is happening at this point in time. Um, so could you briefly walk us through what that process looks like and what it entails? I'd be happy to. Um, as you said, this is a conference that's approximately four years in the making. We were supposed to have our 2020 conference in Coral Gables, Florida, but we pushed it to 2022 when, of course, the onset of the pandemic happened about three weeks before we were due to arrive in Coral Gables. Um, as a consequence, um, this will be the first in-person C-19 conference since the pandemic, and we wanted to ensure that it was a safe conference. I mean, that is of paramount importance to us, the safety and health and well-being of our members. So we have done something unusual in the sense that past conference organizers haven't had to take into consideration COVID-19 medication protocols. So this has been a learning experience for so many of us, which is staying on top of the most recent news from the CDC and the WHO, and just um, putting in place um, kind of practices um, that will ensure that our members you know, remain masked, that they socially distance, that the layout of the rooms, the seating, um, the snacks and beverage stations, all of these, the kind of minutia, the details um, are attentive to these questions of health and safety. What can you tell us about what C-19 has learned from convening virtually in 2020? Um, are there any elements of that from that experience that you expect will inform this year's meeting or future um, C-19 conferences? I believe when um, we held our 2020 virtual conference in October, it's one of the earliest kind of large scale conferences that was held in the virtual medium. And at that time, my senses Zoom fatigue hadn't quite set in. And we just kind of reveled in the um, accessibility and the convenience of a virtual conference. And it was really well attended. It was a two week conference, given the medium, we had to stretch out the conference um, timeline. And I think since then, the shift has been the desire for us to kind of meet in person as long as it's safe for everyone to gather. And one of the things that we implemented um, in the executive committee was our ad hoc committee on events. And it was um, a committee that's convened and chaired actually by Blevin Shellnut. And they've done incredible work to kind of bridge the virtual 2020 conference with the in-person 2022 conference. Um, they've held a number of very well attended, I think recently, just this past week, they had the new authors uh, Zoom event take place, which was excellent. Um, and the intention of that was to kind of capitalize on the accessibility and convenience of the Zoom environment, so to speak, and allow us a chance to kind of gather together intellectually, even while we're apart. Um, but 
our senses for the 2022 conference, it's a very different type of event. And, and the idea is to really emphasize the in-person event and the desire for so many of our community members to gather together in person and, and just take advantage of the kind of social experience of being in community together. So in a way, we see the kind of work of the ad hoc um, committee, ad hoc um, committee on events as, as that bridging um, between the two different conferences. So can you tell us a little bit about where listeners should go who are unfamiliar with the conference to see who's going to be there, what kinds of events are going to happen, where to register for it, where is the hub for all of that kind of information that I'm sure people are going to be looking for? Sure. So our um, C19 2022 conference reconstructions website is fully operational. We actually just uploaded the finalized program schedule. So I recommend folks going to the website and taking a look at the program before they come out. So they have a sense of basically some difficult choices they have to make. We're running seven concurrent sessions over the three days. Um, So there are going to be some tough decisions, but excellent panels. We had such wonderful submissions. I'm really looking forward. That's my, what I'm looking forward to is attending all of these sessions. Um, We also have a terrific keynote speaker. Our C19 Now Plenary Session will be featuring Desmond Mead of the Florida Rights Reconstruction Coalition. Um, I have been told that he's an electrifying speaker. And for those of you unfamiliar with his work, um, he was recently awarded a MacArthur Foundation grant in recognition of his work basically spearheading um, the passage of Amendment 4. And this happened, I believe, 2018, which restored the voting rights to over 1.4 million Floridians who had past felony convictions. So, I mean, his work, his life is just fascinating. So I'm really looking forward to the plenary session and I invite everybody to attend. So there's a lot of special events that we have in store in terms of um, the common table dinner, which is an ongoing tradition for us. And that's held out at a restaurant outside. There'll be outdoor dining. We also have a closing reception that everyone's invited to that will also take place um, outdoors in the um, Court of Lions courtyard. So it's a spacious outdoor space where we can kind of, Know, conclude our conference and say goodbye to each other. Um, but there are a lot of you know special events. There are terrific panels. Go to our website, take a look, come prepared to make some difficult decisions about the panels that you want to attend. Um, and you can register through um, register through the Ex Ordo Conference Portal. You can select the special events that you want to pay for, such as the common table dinner or the cluster lunches. So it's one place where you can do all of that. The plenary sounds like a great way to be thinking about reconstruction or reconstructions across time, right, and the activism that is happening today, especially in places like Florida in the South, right, around um, voting rights, which is a state and also, of course, um, national issue. Um, So what to you is the importance of reconstruction now? The importance of reconstruction now. Um, The conference theme was, you know, in many ways, really attentive to our kind of current political climate and the selection of Desmond Mead, which was recommended, in fact, by our terrific local site coordinators, Martha Schoolman and John Funchen, that we really wanted a speaker that would kind of 
really encapsulate this question of reconstructions now. And his work with kind of restoring voting rights, um, especially given kind of contemporary struggles over the kind of restriction and in, in fact curtailment of voting rights for so many Americans um, that it was in many ways a kind of perfect um, um, marriage, so to speak, of a keynote speaker and a conference theme. What advice do you have to give to either people who are attending for the first time, people who haven't been in a while, which is kind of all of us at this point, right, um, to really help them make the most of the conference this time around? You've already told us about some amazing events that are happening, but um, any other sorts of recommendations you can make for people? So in organizing this conference, we knew that this would most likely be the first or uh, a conference that many members, including myself, will be attending in person since the onset of the pandemic. So we really kind of emphasize that this, the social aspect of this conference will be just as important as the intellectual. And um, in terms of that, we made a concerted effort to, to shift earlier many of our kind of special events so they start around 6 p.m which will allow individuals to kind of gather with friends and colleagues they haven't seen in a really long time and and take advantage of the beautiful weather of miami coral gables and you know catch up over dinner outdoors together so that's one of those kind of you know aspects that i really want to um you know um uh, emphasize about this conference is to really kind of take advantage of the kind of outdoor space of Miami there and just gather to give you a chance to kind of gather together with friends and colleagues that you haven't seen. Um, so we, we tried to organize a conference in such a way that you didn't feel that you were like really torn between attending special events and also just catching up with folks. So our entire program has been really attentive to kind of the needs and desires of our memberships. So we're balancing the intellectual and the social component um, of this conference. And we're hope, we hope that we've done it well um, for everyone. I wanna know what you personally are most looking forward to. I am looking forward to this conference happening. As I said, we've been working on this for four years. And for those of you unfamiliar with um, how RC19 conferences are organized, it's all volunteer basis. It's all of our EC members. We all have full-time jobs. All the work that we do in planning and organizing and, and, and just thinking about kind of, you know, all of these different elements related to the pandemic are all on kind of volunteer time. And so, you know, just seeing this come together, people coming together finally after four years is the one thing that I'm looking forward to most of all, and that people come away having a very positive kind of experience and just an intellectually kind of inspiring one. Um, I feel like there's a, a lot of expectations because it's been four years in the making, so I can't wait to see this take place. Great. Well, again, thank you so much. I know you have a lot more work to do in these last few weeks, um, but I'm sure everybody listening is really excited to be there um, to see each other again and to listen to all the great ideas that are going to be floating about in Florida. So thank you. In our final segment, Delisa Hawks, 
talks with Martha Schoolman and John Funchen, on-site coordinators of this year's conference, about the location of the conference and points of interest in the Miami Coral Gables area. Here I have with us Martha Schoolman. She's an associate professor of English and director of the grad program in literature, writing, and rhetoric at Florida International University. And we also have John Funchen, who's associate professor of English at the University of Miami. Hi, Martha and John. How are you both doing? Good, thank you. Good, thanks. I just want to ask you a few questions that pertain to the location of this year's conference. So originally, the decision to hold the C-19 conference in Coral Gables was made to accommodate the 2020 theme of dissent. How does Reconstructions map onto Florida's past or its present? Reconstruction is a little bit more of a complex fit because unlike a lot of other places in Florida, Miami is very much a 20th century city. So Key West, the, if you go down there, you could, the 19th century is everywhere. What uh, Kirsten Silva Gruce calls the Gulf of Mexico system is very much in evidence in Key West, as in places like Pensacola, you know, which had Civil War, you know, battle sites. Um, and St. Augustine to the north is obviously one of the oldest cities in Florida. But Miami, for various geographic reasons, because of the kind of swampy topography, because there was kind of an inconvenient sandbar, um, there really wasn't a lot of Euro-American settlement in this specific area um, until close to 1900 when the, um, the railroad was extended um, this far south. So I think what's interesting, you know, for thinking of reconstructions, plural or reconstructions in this kind of iterative way, it's interesting to think of Miami as an important site of maybe this and Florida as this kind of second and third reconstructions because Miami, because the big boom era was in the teens and 20s, which was the era in which Coral Gables was built, um, Miami was very much a place built by the exploitation of black labor and uh, deep segregation. And so the, the, what people call the second reconstruction of the civil rights era was very, was very salient in Miami as a kind of moment of desegregation, of um, uh, opening educational access, of um, integrating public accommodations. For example, there's a still famous uh, African-American beach because African-Americans weren't allowed to swim anywhere but this one spot called Virginia Key. Um, and so in terms of this uh, second reconstruction, Miami has important stories to tell. And then in terms of uh, what some people are maybe somewhat optimistically at this moment calling the third reconstruction, the kind of um, Black Lives Matter um, kind of uh, protest against police violence and the carceral system, it's um, very salient in Florida right now, and we're exploring that with our keynote speaker, Desmond Mead, who is the uh, executive director of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. And what's interesting there is one of the uh, real holdovers of slavery and its legacy is felony disenfranchisement, uh, which means that if you have a felony conviction, you can never vote. And with Desmond Mead's leadership, that was removed from the Florida Constitution only in 2018, but the right-wing legislature kind of passed a bunch of regulations to knock it down and make it less accessible to more people. So we almost see this like third reconstruction slash white reconstruction battling out in a way in the state of Florida. And that's why we wanted um, to hear from Desmond Mead as part of the conference. How are you all thinking about reconstructions as a way to better understand 
the university that is in the U.S., um, its concerns or its concerns of the people that it serves? So I think at least to start out answering that question, when I think about the relationship between reconstruction and the university, I tend to think immediately just in terms of academic labor and in particular, again, to kind of regionalize it, I guess, in a sort of southern context, even though I think often sometimes Miami wants to think of itself as sort of south of the south. But the uh, really, you know, one of the legacies of the dismantlement of the first reconstruction was, of course, the Jim Crow era. And one of the sort of major pieces of legislation that uh, came out of that era was the Taft-Hartley Act in the, uh, 1947, which was a sort of anti-union bill. Uh, and that bill, I think, casts a long shadow over attempts for labor within universities, not just faculty, um, but really from staff, uh, support staff, certainly graduate students, uh, and contingent labor to organize. Uh, you know, the phrase right to work really comes out of that act. And Southern states have continued to pursue, Florida certainly among them, uh, legislation that makes it very difficult for unions to organize. And so I think about the kind of legacy of kind of labor relations that come out of post-Reconstruction and really the South being a kind of template for wage suppression uh, and, and labor exploitation. And so I think it poses a real challenge. And I think, but as a result, being here in South Florida is an opportunity to think about those challenges especially at a time when we're seeing, I think rather encouragingly, a lot of organizing happening at other universities uh, across the country. Yeah, I had a slightly different um, sort of take on those um, questions because I was thinking about it very much from the perspective of FIU, again, as this kind of second reconstruction um, institution, because uh, FIU was a public university founded in um, 1965 as part of the Great Society programs that um, expanded access to education kind of all over the country, like a lot of the younger Cal schools are from this era as well. Um, and as the largest Hispanic serving institution in the U.S., um, FIU very much continues to do this work of democratizing access to education. But in the, what I think is a very specific kind of regional contradiction, FIU is founded and located where it is, where it is to uh, serve the children of um, new Cuban immigrants because the Cuban revolution was in 1959. And so the theory there or the... Um, the, or the Cuban exile population and even their grandchildren that I teach now tends to, to resist um, the idea of kind of redistributive policies or uh, state aid that makes all these things possible. For example, FIU is almost 50% Pell Grant recipients. So it really is a kind of social mobility university, but all those ideas are at the same time, sometimes culturally unspeakable, which I think kind of gets to all of these um, contradictions we're trying to probe here. What kind of special events will be featured at the conference this year? Well, the special event, we're going fairly light on special events because COVID is still among us. So our main event is the Desmond Mead Talk. Um, as I already talked about, and we're really excited about that. That's going to be a big Friday night keynote. And also on Thursday, the 31st, we're holding a common table dinner, um, which is going to be outside at a restaurant brewery called Bay 13, which is just across the street from the Hyatt. So we really encourage people of all ranks to come to the common table dinner because it'll be a really good um, opportunity to, to mingle in a, a relatively safe environment. Do you have any recommendations for places or activities that might be of particular interest to conference attendees? We're compiling a list, which will be part of the program. Uh, so there'll certainly be a lot of uh, possibilities. And one of the things, of course, that will be certainly cognizant of is activities that are 
conducive to people um, during a time of COVID in terms of you know activities that can be done outside or, or venues where people can expect uh, a certain degree of compliance when it comes to masking as well. And we're also not going to send people uh, particularly far afield either. Although you know, as Martha had mentioned in some of her earlier responses, there are other points in Florida right that sort of intersect quite interestingly with uh, the theme of reconstruction. Uh, just to maybe mention a few. Uh, I always like to promote Books and Books, our local independent bookstore uh, run by Mitch Kaplan, who's sort of well known in the independent book selling world as a kind of leader, I think, in terms of thinking, both in terms of sort of the politics of Reconstruction, whether it be the th third Reconstruction or even the original uh, theme of dissent, something that's notable about Books and Books as an independent bookstore is that it does see itself as a kind of civic institution. It's very supportive of local political organizing uh, and plays host to those things. Uh, you know, it's more of a trade bookstore, but I think uh, attendees will really like visiting it, and it's just a short walk from the conference uh, venue, so it's right in the neighborhood. You don't have to get into a car to, to reach it, uh, and there's a nice outdoor area, too, where you can uh, grab something to, to eat. Um, I don't know, Martha, if you want to talk a little bit about some of the museums that people might want to visit when they're here. Yeah, the other thing I'd recommend is Miami has some really good museums, and we'll kind of go into this on our list, but sort of two I wanted to highlight is History Miami, which is the Miami History Museum that is really beautifully done. It's right downtown by the main public library, and it the, they start the history with the um, Tequesta, which is the earliest Native um, group that was here kind of all the way through um, 19th century and up to the present, so it's really beautifully done, so I recommend that. And the other thing I especially recommend is um, the, the Perez Museum, also known as the PAM, uh, which is a contemporary arts museum that collects very much around Latin American and Caribbean art. Um, so they always have something there that you've never seen in another museum. Um, and it's really a beautiful building as well. So I recommend that. Maybe just one other thing I'll mention, which is the Fairchild Garden, which is something that can be done outside. Uh, it's not walkable distance, but if if attendees are comfortable, you know, taking, uh, getting a ride uh, down there, uh, it's, you know, it's not that far from downtown Coral Gables. I want to say maybe 10 to 20 minutes, depending on traffic. But again, it's a really expansive place. It's uh, run by a private organization, but it's uh, owned by Miami-Dade County. Uh, it's a really neat place and it's something you can do safely because all of it is outside with the exception of the gift shop. And, and maybe one other thing we should stress, maybe it's the obvious, but I think one of the the good things about having uh, an in-person conference in Miami at this time of year is that unlike a lot of other venues, uh, the weather is going to be amazing. So there are going to be lots of outdoor eating options available. Uh, so you should be able to, attendees should be able to avoid, you know, any kind of uncomfortable situations where they might have to eat inside. Uh, so they'll still be able to go out to eat and socialize and also do it pretty safely too. Well, I, for one, am very excited to be in Miami in March for the in-person conference, which leads me to my next question. What are you most excited about with regard to the seventh biennial conference? I am so excited to see my friends. <laughs> I have to say it's like that, that seems to be, um, you know, there's so many people I haven't seen in years. Um, my birthdays are on the conference and I had a significant birthday two years ago and I invite everyone I know to the party and then we had to cancel. So I'm really excited to um, see see a lot of friends and just see interact with people kind of formally and informally and kind of spend some of this pent up social energy that uh, I don't know, I'm still harboring after two years of COVID. 
yeah, I couldn't say say it better. I think we're all really excited to be able to see people. You know, there are a lot of people that I haven't been able to even really interact with that one counts on seeing at, at conferences like C19. So I think that's really the most exciting element of this. What advice would you offer to those who are attending the C19 conference for the first time? So, uh, I mean, aside from the usual COVID sort of advice in terms of taking uh, care, uh, you know, I think it is important, you know, we are in a state, as it probably attendees will know, uh, where we have a Republican administration. And so masking is kind of hit or miss in indoor places. Uh, you know, it's voluntary. You're going to see a lot of people masked. You're also going to see a lot of people without masks. So I think, you know, just be prepared for that if you're venturing indoors outside of areas where C-19 is sort of running the show. Uh, the other thing, though, that is important to stress, and I think this has been uh, communicated through email, but uh, C-19 is going to be providing uh, PPE and test kits, uh, I believe, which are, I think Martha informed me, are being stockpiled in her garage. So uh, a lot of those uh, supplies are going to be available uh, to you as well. Uh, and, you know, again, as I mentioned previously, I think the important thing is, is that you're still going to be able to engage in social activities here uh outside. And, and so it's not necessarily going to be particularly essential for you to have to venture inside to do those kinds of things uh, in, in Miami at that time. And maybe sort of on another level, and I, I think I probably said this on the podcast two years ago, but I just want to uh, kind of reassert it, is that um, if you haven't come to C-19 before, or if you're not a regular, C-19 is a pretty friendly, democratic environment. So I encourage people to connect with people they haven't met before. If you're a junior scholar, you know, accost, your, accost senior scholars that you're kind of curious about, write ahead and write something and invite them to coffee. I have a colleague who uh, for a while just had a practice of every conference. He would invite one or two people to coffee that he hadn't met before that he was just sort of curious about. And it seems like a nice practice. The worst thing people will do is ignore you. And, you know, most people are pretty happy to be sought after. So, um yeah, so just try to socialize, try to make connections, because that's the, the beauty of an in-person conference that I think now we're in a particular position to appreciate. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me about Coral Gables as a conference location. I'm definitely excited to attend in person. We hope you'll join us in Coral Gables for the seventh biennial conference, featuring panels on a wide assortment of topics, including the environmental humanities, theater, pedagogy, black and indigenous ecologies, trans histories, religious studies, queer studies, poetry, print culture, and much more. For more information about the conference, visit c19reconstructions.com. For more information about C19, the Society of 19th Century Americanists, or this podcast, visit c19society.org. This installment was produced by Julia Bernier, Rachel Bassio, Ryan Charlton, Delisa Hawks, Lizzie LaRude, and Ashley Ratner. Special thanks to our contributors, Anna Mae Duane, Sarah Chin, Edley Wong, Martha Schoolman, and John Funchen. Thank you for listening to the C19 Podcast. Enjoyed this episode? Have thoughts? Use the hashtag C19podcast or get in touch with us at c19podcast at gmail.com. Have an idea for an episode? Check out our CFP on the C19 website for more details on submitting a proposal.